Welcome back to another episode of After Hours with Föreningen Ekonomerna with your host, Elma Thorensen. I'm back within the confines of our national borders and coming to you with the announcement that I frankly have nothing to talk about. At least that's the way that it feels currently. My holiday stint in Scotland was very healthy and very good for me in the sense that I unplugged quite a bit, especially from student life. I wear a lot of different hats in this arena, more on hats later this episode, and it was definitely good for me to put them away for a little bit. Most of us are familiar with the feeling of feeling worn out, and as such, I genuinely think that it can be quite healthy to shed the various roles of your person and be someone else for a while. Not a totally different person per se, but more accurately a person with different priorities than the one that you're accustomed to being, and going to a new place is usually the easiest way to do that. However, that did also mean unplugging the part of my brain that collects ideas for this podcast. You win some, you lose some, I guess. I'll get my groove back, if you bear with me. All that being said, I'm very happy to be back in Stockholm. This is my city, my turf, and also where I hang my hat, after all. Traveling is fun, and you can certainly feel at home in many different places. That definitely applies to me. But Stockholm always seems to pull me back in. If you asked me where the Earth's gravitational force is located, I'd jokingly point to this city. As we approach the holidays, lots of you guys will be leaving and coming back too, and I hope that at least a few of you get to feel the same way, regardless of if your Stockholm is the same as mine or located somewhere else. The comfort of feeling at home can't be overstated. Moving on, we are also emerging out of another tenth of season as this episode comes out. I hope that you all felt minimal stress leading up and that you all feel happy with your performance. I had my last finance final ever this past Monday, which means that from now on, all my courses will pertain to my concentration. The advent of this is quite peculiar for me to conceptualize, as I've always sort of considered myself a jack-of-all-trades, primarily academically, but even when it comes to my hobbies and interests, I've seemingly never been one for focus. I went to an American high school in New York, which practically meant that I never picked a concentration at the upper level of secondary education, like a lot of people do on this side of the pond. This has not necessarily been a disadvantage. I've always pulled good grades in all my subjects, regardless of it being chemistry, history, or statistics, with the caveat of me, of course, hating some subjects and studying them way more than others. Looking at you, physics. All in all, I'm well-rounded, as they would purport at my high school as they harassed us to send in her college essays. But until now, I haven't really had my thing academically. And by my thing, I mean a thing that people can connect to me or point me out in a crowd and say, that's Elma, she knows a lot about this or that. And for some reason, I have always kind of wanted that. Might be silly, but I am being honest. Being a jack of all trades is all well and good until you have to present or even pitch yourself, which you do have to do with some people. What the hell do I know really? I don't know, and if I don't know, how would you know? This, of course, does in fact not matter, and I know that, but it does cross my mind often enough that I wanted to bring it up in case anyone feels similarly. 
branded society teaches us that we're walking, talking commodities with features, offers, and prices. So it's not weird to internalize that, especially at a business school of all places. So I'm going to forgive myself for having varied skills and interests, and I think that you should too. We don't have to be marketable, at least not as people. On LinkedIn, however, your profile is a different story. Let's talk studying with your favorite jack-of-all-academic-trades slash pedant. I'm aware that the timing of this segment might seem slightly off to some of you. We are approaching the end of the semester after all. But that is precisely why I wanted to tackle this right now, because we're almost halfway into the academic year. It's getting dark out, motivation is dwindling, especially as we approach the holiday season. So whatever you're feeling, trust that I'm feeling it too. That being said, let's get our studying straight before entering winter break because the semester does not end until next year, baby, and you have the expertise of an expert bookworm at your disposal. This first tip is glaringly obvious to some, but I am asking you to humor me. I was at a dinner party the other day, and after a while of talking about school and our various experiences and such, we collectively discovered that up until half of the attendees at this dinner party entered their postgraduate degree, they hadn't really read the course literature. Now, that was slightly shocking to me because I largely learned by reading and copying. Of course, not everyone is like this, and I'm aware of that. Regardless of this, though, and regardless of your learning style, you should be opening your books. Let's get that clear. Unfortunately for all of you, I am choosing to tough love you on this one. For the most part, us students are examined based on the course literature. You heard that right. I do read all my syllabuses. Even if you're not a cover-to-cover -cover reader, I'm not either, you should be using the course literature to inform the way that you study for the examination. It's quite literally all of the main concepts that you need explained in thorough detail handed to you. One last thing that I want to add to this point is that I'm not being dense, even though I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes at me right now. Elma, you're being ridiculous. I can still skate by without doing any of that. And that, my friend, is certainly true. You can actually get very good grades even if you're not reading the course literature. That became very evident at the dinner party. I have smart friends. But what also became quite apparent was that the grade outcome associated with this approach was quite unpredictable. There's a very big difference between an E and a B, and if you don't know which one you're more likely to get going into your exam, you're simply not prepared enough. What you're actually trying to create by studying is consistency in terms of you being able to display that you're both retaining and understanding the information at hand not just achieving a letter grade. If you're in uni, you should be effectively teaching yourself how to think, not just regurgitating. So buck up and open that book, baby. Let's get after it. This next pair of tips are somewhat particular to the dark half of the year, but I try to do this year round for the most part. Do yourself a massive favor and structure your day so that you get your toughest work done by the time that the sun goes down. I can only speak for myself, but I like to say that the truly productive part of my brain likes to vacate my cranium as soon as the sun has disappeared beyond the horizon. I've tried to counteract this before, but now I just roll with it. 
As such, I make sure to schedule my day so that I get the toughest, alternatively most urgent stuff out of the way first while I'm most up to it. This is definitely at odds with the fact that I'm certainly not a morning person, but I find that this works best for me irrespective of that. Once the sun has gone down, if I have anything left, it's mostly stuff that I have fun doing. For example, this past Monday, I saved writing the outline for this podcast for the evening, knowing that I had a final from 10 to 2 in the afternoon and some more urgent errands that I wanted to get done while it was light out. Since I like producing the podcast, it was much easier to convince myself to do those extra hours of work after dark. Furthermore, another winter tip. Get sun every single goddamn day. I know that this may feel somewhat contradictory to the last tip, but hear me out. First of all, you need vitamin D. You should be supplementing. And above all that, you need to feel like a person. You won't feel like a person if you're cooped up inside all day working, only seeing the sun from your window, if at all. The way that I solve this is that I make a habit out of taking a walk either before or after lunch. It doesn't have to be much more than 20 minutes or so, but it just breaks the day up a little bit and makes sure that I get outside my tiny room. This leads me to my next tip. Learn how to take breaks before you're tired and unable to focus. My lunch walk actually solved this dilemma for me to some extent. If you're only taking breaks when you're at your breaking point, you are quite likely not doing very high quality work in the 15 or 30 minutes leading up. Get to know yourself and what your limits are and respect them. Also, ignore other people's limits. They're irrelevant and you don't have time <laughs> to feel bad about having to take more or less breaks than someone else. In this case, it's about what actually gets done, not how. Speaking of comparing ourselves to others, studying in groups. This is very helpful for some and not at all for others. If you do like to study socially, I do to a certain extent, factor it into your overall study schedule, even if it harshes your productivity a bit. You want to be enjoying studying in the holistic sense, so if studying with other people makes it fun and worthwhile for you, even if you don't get as much done as you would like, that's fine in my book. Simply be aware of it and make sure to schedule some solo time to keep yourself up to speed. If you're at uni, your main occupation is studying, so I would strongly advise against making it a punishment. If you're hating everything about studying by yourself, then you're not going to get anything done anyway. Related to your environment, figure out what study environment works best for you. Do you need consistency to get in the right headspace, or do you need variation in order to keep you motivated? This varies a lot, and you know yourself best. However, I found that while researching this segment, that people who deal with a level of scatterbrainedness often feel that they benefit from a consistent environment where they feel at peace and where their brain can kind of click into gear and realize that it's study time. While people like me who struggle more with motivation often like variation to keep studying a semi-fun activity to look forward to. These categories are, of course, not mutually exclusive, but I think that you catch my drift, so feel out which one suits you the best. These things are also, of course, not static, so they might change too. I'd like to call this next tip divide and conquer. At the start of each course module, map out where you're going to read and when so that you don't fall behind nor have it pile up too much. Personally, I'm a big fan of a checklist format as it makes me feel a small sense of accomplishment every time I get to go back to it and check something off. 
This, of course, hinges on the fact that you actually stick to the schedule, which won't always happen for a multitude of reasons, but I find that making the schedule at least helps keeps me, keep me in the loop. I'm never surprised by myself having missed a reading when it does happen. Music, music, music. Whether or not people like music or other background noise like a TV show on while studying is quite polarizing, but I want to throw my two cents into the mix because for me, it's very activity dependent. I love music on while I'm doing math, especially statistics, because I find that it really focuses me. If you're into statistics and you're doing a lot of <laughs> super repetitive computations, then I think you probably know what I mean. When writing, however, I find that the most beneficial thing that I can do music-wise is to put on music that's in a different language than the one that I'm writing in. So think Swedish music for writing in English and vice versa. I'm assuming that most of you listening are at least bilingual, so this could be something to consider. Even if you're not, having music on that's in a language that you don't understand might be beneficial even then. If you try this, I'd love for you to report back to me on your findings. Next up, time to make up your own shorthand, not only for class, but also for taking notes on your readings. Frankly, there is no reason for you to be writing out every single word of a slide or a text. It doesn't do your memory any favors and it slows you down. Now, what kind of shorthand works for you is personal. That's why it's yours. I find that similarly to reformulating concepts in my own words, this approach helps me retain a lot more of the material that I take notes on, both in class and during self-study. Let's talk testing. I'm only saying this because I love you. Don't cram the day before a test. Please stop doing this. We are grown people out of high school. We are not cramming anymore. I guarantee you that you are not retaining anything that you don't already know, even if you haven't studied enough up until this point, in addition to the fact that you are most certainly upping your stress levels. I still recommend some light revising during the first half of the day before a test, if you like. I like to do this just for consistency's sake. However, put that laptop down after 3 in the afternoon. I am serious as a heart attack. After 3 p.m., it's unwinding time. You need to let things marinate, which they can't if you're cramming. You also need to let those cortisol levels fall before the next tip becomes relevant. And that is sleep. Yes, no surprises here, but you do really need to sleep. And I say this as someone who has a notoriously difficult time doing so. Preferably, you should always be well rested. But of course, that is far from always possible, which is definitely the case for me. But even I make a point to at least give myself the right circumstances to sleep well before a test, especially if it's a morning one. Frankly, you are not going to test particularly well, regardless of your studying, if you're exhausted even right at the start. Test taking is tiring, and you're going to be tired after it, so give yourself the gift of not being ready to hit the floor when you start. This is why relaxing the day before is so crucial, because if you're cramming, you're certainly not sleeping, and you're definitely not relaxed enough to fall asleep at a decent hour either. Finally, I have two tips for essay writing. The first is to collect quotes of interest from relevant readings as you're doing them. And by interest, I mean anything that seems relevant to the main learning outcomes of the course. If you're lucky, you already have an essay prompt that that's available to you at the start of the course. If you do, use it. 
Not only do I find that this helps me comprehend the literature better, but it also means that you won't have to go back into the literature as deeply when you sit down to write the assignment, which saves you a considerable amount of time and stress when trying to find relevant source material. This is one of the best ways to do your future self a massive favor. Last tip is to learn how to use reference guides, if not the reference system itself, by heart. Full stop. If you're able to do this, you will have a massive time saver on your hands. Since I started university, I have learned to cite MLA, Harvard, and Chicago by heart. I can't even begin to describe how much time this saves me. Now, I understand that this may not be possible for everyone, so if you're not trying to get on the wave of memorizing, consider extensively familiarizing yourself with a reference guide for a citation style that is relevant to you. Pick one and get to know it. That's all I got for now. I'm sure plenty of you already know these, in which case, thank you for bearing with me. Hopefully, though, you got something out of this. I know that we're all hanging in there right now, so let's be kind to ourselves and do what we can to get through the last of this semester. Once again, we are association spotting together. Yours truly is very happy to be back. If you're applying for a master's program, listen up. At five o'clock on Wednesday, the 1st of December, the publishing date of this podisode, the Education Committee will hold a lecture about all things GMAT and GRE, covering everything from what to expect to the pertinent differences between the two. Once again, this event is happening today, December 1st. Last I checked, there were a few spots left, but they are limited. So if you're interested and haven't signed up yet, get to it ASAP. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Föreningen Ekonomerna is hosting this year's Lucia-sittning on Lucia Day, December 13th. Bring your best full-sittning manners as well as your COVID pass in order to receive entry. Tickets are available and out now on the Orbi app. Join the IT committee for a beer on Thursday. Make sure to keep up with the Facebook event for updates as to place, as they have been frequenting Café Proviant in Nyalbanor lately, in addition to good old Ölstugan. They're still running, folks! Join the sports committee for their weekly running sessions. Meet up with your running buddies at Valhallavägen 95, also known as the entrance to Stadion, at 5 o'clock in the afternoons on Sundays for a run catered to all levels. Are you a master's student looking for resources to help you enter the professional sphere? Look no further than the Master's Club Career Connection event, which will be kicking off on December 8th from 1 to 4 in the afternoon. Get a free headshot, sign up for a resume review, get a mock interview with an American recruiter, or learn how to capture a PhD position. See the Master's Club Facebook page for more information. This is a reminder to all of our members that Festningen, also known as our headquarter, is open from 10 to 16, I almost said, 10 to 4, Monday through Thursday, no key card necessary. Come study, chat, and hang out, even if it's just for a change of pace. We'd love to have you here. Applications for vice chair positions are officially open. If you're interested, this is your time to shine. The week that this episode is published, the committees will be doing individual takeovers on the Fredningen Ekonomina Instagram page, where you can ask questions about the role and so on. The deadline for all applications is on the 5th of December, so don't hesitate for too long. See the committee Facebook pages for the link to the correct podia forms.
Good luck, everyone. We are back with our ever-reliable final segment, My Two Cents, where I talk about what grinds my gears and what I adore. The thing that grinds my gears this episode, I believe should be illegal. Maybe even grounds for incarceration. I'm expressing myself passionately, but I take this very seriously as a warm clothing enthusiast. Listen to last episode's segment if you need a refresher on that. The thing that I want to hate on this time around is those tiny little horrible hats that have become trendy for men to wear. I believe that their technical name may be fisherman's beanies, but I'm not able to verify that right now. They're not even all necessarily all that tiny by design, but the fashion is to fold them up over the ears. First of all, I fear for my life when I see a man wearing this type of hat in public because I consider them to be masochistic. Why are you wearing a hat that serves no purpose? No utility. Why do you have a lid? I just calculated several utility functions for this hat. They're all lesser or equal to zero. That's a finance joke. (laughs) I'm not even trying to be dense. I just don't get it. Why the hell are these trendy for the cold weather? I don't knock fashion choices as a rule. I think it's cool that people put effort in behind their outfits and accessories, even if I wouldn't wear it myself. But the existence of these hats is testing my patience. These make sense at warmer temperatures as an accessory. At least that's what I think. You know, a way to add a little bit of flair to an otherwise plain outfit. I wear six rings and at least two necklaces at a time, so I'm no stranger to accessorizing. Why then is it that I am seeing dude after dude after bro after dude in this icebox of a city wearing them? It simply makes no sense. Now, I would not get so heated about this if it weren't for the fact that the men that I see wearing these always have glowing, dare I say, flaming red earlobes. I know that you're cold. I see it, even though you're too tough to admit it. I can't speak on behalf of all other people, but I will speak on behalf of myself when I say, for the love of God, just wear a real hat. Cover your ears because modesty is sexy and ear inflammations are not. Moving on, the thing that I want to show some love in this episode is photography. Not the art, because that's something that I don't know nearly as much about as I would like. I'm more so referring to the act of snapping candidates with your smartphone, that kind of thing, you know. As I mentioned previously, I was away for quite a bit recently. Being on holiday is quite a common impetus for photographing any and everything. I'm sure many of us remember our parents posing us in front of various tourist attractions in order to snap a picture to commemorate the occasion. In my case, there are about a million pictures of my child self in front of waterfalls because I'm Icelandic. Personal anecdotes aside, I want to rose the act of casually photographing things because why not, you know? We all carry around tremendously powerful little computers with camera ability that people used to only dream of in our pockets. And since this is the case, why shouldn't we be taking pictures, even if we're not photography whizzes? Why shouldn't our friends, pretty sunsets, jam stuck to the wall, pets, odd street finds, sea scum, etc., etc., not get their moment to shine? There's something celebratory of the mundane and taking time to capture all that. 
I haven't always understood it, but as I'm getting older and seeing my teenage years and childhood in the rearview mirror, I get why my parents wanted to snap a picture of me in front of every single waterfall. Finally being able to separate myself from my adolescent hatred of my own image and undefined annoyance at my parents' persistence, I see that they were just trying to capture a little bit of the mundane sparkle that makes life shimmer a little extra around the edges. Nowadays, I do the same. Most of what I manage to capture are complete throwaways, blurry, poorly composed, underexposed garbage, actually. But I'm a firm believer that in order to get anything good, you need to churn out at least three times more garbage. So for every three throwaways, there's one I cherish. And I will keep on cherishing it because our digital society allows us to back all of it up on hard drives at our own convenience. So if you take anything away from this segment, it should be to take more pictures. Please make the mundane shimmer a bit extra. You deserve that. We are now at the end of the episode. Before I go, I wanted to take some time to wish all of you a positively low-stress holiday season, regardless of what you celebrate. Moreover, if you feel lonely at this time of the year, know that I'm thinking about you. These things are not easy for everyone due to a multitude of reasons, so just know that you're not alone and you're not strange for having mixed feelings about this time of year. I hope you know that. As always, you can reach me via the podcast email or my Instagram, both of which can be found in the description of the episode. Have a good morning, day or night, wherever in the world you are. See you soon.